Welcome to our talks on how to understand the King James Bible using the Psalms. Today's episode is a special episode because, including today's talk, we will have completed our verse-by-verse and word-by-word studies on 75 complete Psalms. That's one half of the total. However, we haven't been studying those Psalms in order. We've been selecting them week by week in order to fit in with our teaching series. And that means that there's some of the really early Psalms which we still haven't done. Today we're looking at one of those. It's Psalm number four. My name is Keith Simons and I'm a Bible teacher from England. Please turn with me then to Psalm 4, where you will find the heading to the chief musician on Negnot, a psalm of David. So this was a psalm that David wrote, and he wrote it for the worship of God in God's house, the temple, where the chief musician presided over those who led the worship. On Negnot, says the title. Neginot means stringed instruments. Instruments like David's own instrument, the harp, which he would play and sing along with. That was the original setting for this psalm. And it's a prayer. It's a prayer of David when, as so often happened in his life, his enemies were opposing him fiercely but he was putting his trust in God. Verse 1 reads, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me, and hear my prayer. O God of my righteousness. Righteousness means goodness. It means that God does what's right, but it also means justice. And that meaning probably is most appropriate here. David is appealing to God for help. God, the judge of all the earth. God, who is David's judge. God, who will uphold and support David because David is truly serving God. So he calls God, O God of my justice. Then he gives a bit of a testimony. He declares to God, Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. In English, to be in distress means to be in trouble. But the Hebrew word fits in better here. It talks about a narrow place. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in a narrow place. I was in a narrow place, but you brought me out. God into a wide place. We use this sort of word picture in English today when someone talks about their troubles and they say, I was trapped. I didn't know where to turn. I couldn't escape. I didn't know what to do. It was a trap. I couldn't get out of it. But then, of course, when that person is set free from that trap, when that person's troubles are dealt with, Then that person is like David when he prayed to God, Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. 
So God had saved David when he was trapped, yet David still had troubles. His enemies were still opposing him. And that was why God, that was why David appealed to God now, God of his justice, God who's upheld his cause, who supported him in his past troubles. Now he prays to God to bring about the total answer to his prayer. Have mercy upon me. In other words, show me kindness. Hear my prayer. Listen to this request that I'm bringing to you this day. And we sort of expect after that, that David would declare his request. But he doesn't. He's trusting God. He's trusting God to deal with this situation. His request to God is that he have mercy upon me and hear me when I call. God, I'm calling on you. I'm trusting you to hear me and to act on my behalf. And so confident is David that God will answer his prayer, that he turns and he speaks as if he's speaking to his enemies. And he declares to them the situation. Verse 2. O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing? There's a curious thing about how the King James Bible was put together here. Because if you look at the Hebrew, it doesn't begin by talking about sons of men, but sons of man. Not men, but man. So why have they taken a singular word and presented it here as plural? Well, this is to do with the King James translators trying to express the true meaning of the Hebrew. You see, when they looked at that word for man in the Hebrew, they found a word which, which can mean a man of some importance, a respectable man. And they thought to themselves, the expression sons of man sounds like unimportant people. But this is about more important people. And so they thought, how do we express this in English? And they thought, well, we have a very similar phrase in English, because if we talk about sons of men, like we talk about strong soldiers as being men, or like we talk about important leaders in business as being men. That expresses better the meaning of the Hebrew than if we'd have done the literal translation, sons of man. So, O ye sons of men, that O shows that David is speaking to them, or he's imagining himself speaking to them. We don't say that they were necessarily there in the room with David when David said these words. He could have in his imagination been thinking to himself what he would say to them if they were there with him. O oh, ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long? In other words, for too long you've been acting wrongly. This wrong behaviour of yours has gone on for a very long time. And maybe now I've been patient with it. And maybe God has been patient and allowed me to suffer and you to, to boast proudly. 
but how long is this going to be? Because it's not permanent. Because I am sure that God is going to act on my behalf. Is not God the God of my righteousness, first one? The God of my justice? The God who's going to defend me and support me against you? The God who is the judge of all the earth is my God, but he's your judge too. And what are you doing? Well, you are turning my glory into shame. Glory means greatness. To take greatness and to make it a matter to be ashamed of. But what is this greatness of David? Is it his authority as a king? Is it his power? Or is it his God? Is, is he saying to these sons of men, you are speaking shamefully about God. You are saying that God will not defend me, that God does not care about his people, that God will not act in power against you. So you are turning my glory into shame. You're taking the honour of God and you are speaking shamefully about him. And then he brings out his meaning a little more. How long will ye love vanity? and seek after leasing. Okay, so they love vanity. What's vanity? It's a plan that will fail. Vanity means something absolutely worthless, something that cannot succeed. When people claim that God will fail, they are speaking words of vanity. They are speaking foolish words. When they say that God will not act or that God will not be the judge, that is foolish words. They have a foolish plan. They are plotting against God, the almighty God, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who has all power, the God of righteousness who acts rightly. They love foolish words. They love vanity. They love stupid thoughts that can never succeed. How long will ye love vanity, writes David, and seek after leasing? Leasing is a very old English word. It's one that seems to have almost fallen out of use at the time when the King James Bible was translated. The translators have used it in just two places. Curiously enough, it's Psalm 4 and Psalm 5. Psalm 5 verse 6 also includes the word leasing. And it's nowhere else, nowhere else in the entire Bible. What does it mean? Well, when this word, seek after leasing, is used anywhere else, the Hebrew word in the Bible, it's translated lies. These people seek after lies. In other words, they desire lies. They approve of lies, false statements, untrue words. It's, it's these things that they love. It's another way of describing this vanity of theirs. The lie that God will not act, the false words that God is not really their judge, that God will let them do their evil things. And David says about this, how long will this continue? How long before God acts and God acts in power against these evil people? 
is something that he's going to return to in future psalms as well. In, in Psalm 6, verse 3, he prays, But thou, O Lord, how long? In other words, how long before God acts? But at the moment, he's speaking to these evil men. He's saying, how long will you do these wrong things? What's the answer to that? How long will they do these wrong things? How long will they turn glory into shame? How long will they love vanity and seek after leasing? Go on, what's the answer? Well, until God acts against them as judge, unless they repent first, unless they turn from their sins, they will continue in that evil way until God is their judge. But David wants us to think about that. And so perhaps for that reason, he adds the word selah to the end of verse two. The King James translators didn't translate that word. That's the Hebrew form of the word. Uh, we're not entirely sure of its meaning, but it may mean a pause in the music when the singers stop and the instruments play, or, or it may mean just that we should pause and think about David's words. How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing? So let's pause for a little moment and then move on. Verse 3. But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Who's he speaking to? He's still speaking to those he called the sons of men in verse 2. These powerful people, although he called them the sons, he's not thinking about children. He's thinking about men. And he's described them in this way, in the Hebrew form, sons of men. They are powerful people and they are David's enemies. And he's saying, you're following your false ideas, but know this. Know this fact, that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord hath set apart. To set apart means separated. God has separated him that is godly. It doesn't mean he's physically separated him. Uh, you can see that David was amongst these men who were opposing him. He wasn't physically away from them. No, God separated the godly man in that he chose him. God has chosen him to be his own. He's looking after him. He's looking after him through his troubles. And of that, David was confident. Him that is godly. The Hebrew word doesn't just mean a religious person. It means the person with godly attitudes, the person who is kind, who is faithful, who is true to his words. That's the sort of person whom God has chosen for himself. And that, of course, included David, which is why David can say at the end of verse three, the Lord will hear when I call unto him. I'm confident that God will answer my prayer. I'm confident that in my current troubles, God will protect me. Then he continues to speak to his enemies in verse four. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Okay, so what's David saying to his enemies here? 
Stand in awe means have respect. Have respect for God and don't sin. Don't wander away from the way that God wants you to go, from the things that God wants you to do. You're so disturbed and, and, and so, so, so disturbed with your plans running through your mind that you're awake, dreaming of your plans and thinking through your plans to oppose me, even through the night. So commune with your own heart upon your bed. In other words, when you're awake at night, when you're so troubled, start thinking deep within yourself, commune with your own heart. Think deep within yourself about what you're doing and realise that what you're doing is wrong, it's very wrong. You are opposing some, someone who serves God. You're turning against someone whom God protects. You should have respect for God. Turn from these wrong attitudes and when you're disturbed at night, realise that you must stop. You must be still. You must stop these wrong ideas and these wrong plans because they're leading to your destruction. Now, when they translated this verse into the Greek language, in an ancient translation called the Septuagint, they translated it, instead of stand in awe, in other words, have respect for God, they translated it, be angry and sin not. In other words, this thing of stand in awe, in the Hebrew it's got the suggestion of trembling, and they thought, well, this means trembling in the sense of being angry, shaking with anger. And this wouldn't be worth mentioning. There's a lot of translation errors in the Septuagint. It's, it's not a very accurate translation. It wouldn't be worth mentioning, except that Paul refers to it in Ephesians 4 and verse 26. He says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. In other words, when you're so angry, when you're stirred with anger, don't let it cause you to do evil things. Instead, give up on your, your anger, your wrath, even before the sun sets, even before you go upon your bed to rest. It's a curious curious interpretation of, of this verse from the Psalms. When David is saying to these evil people, you know, you need to think in the silence of the night about your actions because you, what you are doing is so terribly wrong. You need to stay still. You need to abandon those evil acts. And there's a lesson there, isn't there, about anger and about, about wrong ideas and evil plans. It's so important to turn from them. Turn from them before even the sun goes down, says Paul. But if, if you're awake at night and evil plans are filling your mind or, or, or you're consumed with anger, then think carefully about what you're doing and turn from it. Because these are not thoughts and attitudes that are from God. Instead, sin not and be still. And with that thought, David adds another little pause with the word seller.
And then in verse 5, he gives some advice. And we're not sure whether this is advice to his friends or to his enemies. But let's say it's to his enemies still. And he says to them, offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. And that's interesting because at the time when David had some of his worst troubles, at the time when King Saul was trying to kill David and David had to escape into a foreign country, or at the time when David's son Absalom turned against him and David had to escape to the east side of the River Jordan, well, there were still sacrifices going on in the country that Saul ruled, in the city that Absalom had control over, the city of Jerusalem. Sacrifices were taking place. Religion was being carried on. Yet David says, offer the sacrifices of righteousness. In other words, your religion counts for nothing if it's not righteousness, if it's not right and good, if it's not the kind of religion that God approves of. You can have all kinds of religion, but it's not all good. It has to be what God approves of. And David adds, put your trust in the Lord. Don't trust in religion. You can be a very evil person and still have religion. Put your trust in God. Turn from your sin and trust in him. Verse 6. There be many that say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Oh, people all around David were saying, how are we going to see anything good? There are such troubles in the land and evil people have such power. Who will show us any good? How can there be goodness and success in this land? And David replies, I'm going to pray, he says. God, you lift up the light of your countenance upon us. God's countenance, his face. David is saying, God, you smile upon us and Israel will have success. You smile upon us. You show your approval to your people. Oh, we can't trust powerful rulers and important people to show good to us. We can only trust God and God himself to turn round the situation and to sort out things for us. And David replies in, in verse 7, or he adds in verse 7, God, thou hast put gladness in my heart, more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. David can say, even in his troubles, even before God has saved him from all those troubles, he can say to God, God, you've made me glad. You've filled my heart with joy. I have such joy in you thinking about your approval and your goodness, thinking about how you will rescue me from my troubles. They, they think they're joyful. They think they're joyful because they have a good harvest. There's plenty of corn, plenty of grain in the land. 
because they've got plentiful wine and they can drink as much as they want. They think they're happy. But the true joy, we used to sing, there is joy in serving Jesus. The true joy is the gladness that God puts into a person's heart, into the person who serves him, to the person who trusts him, to the person who obeys him. And then he thinks about first fall and how he's thought about these evil people disturbed at night, thinking about their plans, disturbed by their anger, disturbed by all their evil thoughts. David says he doesn't have nights like that. Why, he lives in, in joy and in gladness. And so even in danger and even in trouble, David declares, verse 8, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. Both. I go to lie down and the moment I lie down, I fall asleep because I'm trusting God. I lie down in peace, even, even in the middle of my enemies. I can lie down in peace and I am so peaceful that I, I can sleep soundly because I'm not having to protect myself. I'm not having to save myself from every danger. I'm not having to make up schemes and political plans through the night to try and work out how to achieve what I want. I'm trusting God and it is thou, Lord, only that makest me dwell in safety. Only God can make me safe. And I here, even if I'm alone, I am in a safe place because God is my defender and my God. He is the God of my righteousness, the God of my justice, who's going to bring me through the present troubles. And just as previously, when I was trapped in a narrow place and God brought me out of there, so in this situation, God is going to free me completely from these troubles, completely from the power of these evil men who are opposing me. God is looking after me. Please write to me. My email address is 333kjv at gmail.com. I'll read that again. 333kjv at gmail.com. And now here is a whole of Psalm 4. To the chief musician on Negnot, a psalm of David. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing? Selah. But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. 
offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say, who will shew us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. <laughs> 